Yesterday, I was going out of town on a little day trip down to Louisiana. You're saying, why Louisiana? I don't know. You know sometimes life takes you in terrible directions. Um, I'm thankful for Louisiana, though, because without them, we'd be last. In, Mississippi would be last in every bad category. But Louisiana, and sometimes Arkansas helps us out, gives us a little assist. So can we give it up for Louisiana and Arkansas? <laughs> thankful for those states. I was heading down to Louisiana. Which direction is Louisiana from here? It depends, it depends on where you're going to Louisiana, I guess. Yeah, west would be a right answer and south. I was going south, and so I, I want to go ahead and turn the GPS on, though, because I don't know exactly where I'm going. Turn the GPS on. And you know sometimes, like, when you're starting off, you know exactly how to take the first maybe 100 miles of the trip. You don't need the GPS. You ever just tune it out? I hate it when people tell me stuff I already know. And, th and that voice, that woman's voice is so articulate and precise, telling me exactly to do what I'm already going to do. It just is annoying. Maybe I've got anger management issues, but I just kind of want to tune her out. And so I start driving, and she's telling me where to go. Back up from your driveway. I'm like, I got this, lady. Go straight on your road. I'm, go I'm doing it, lady. And I start driving. I start driving. I hop on the interstate, and I start going north on I-55. Because I don't need to listen to her because I know where I'm going. And then I look down, and she's like, turn around, turn around, turn around, you idiot. And I look down. I'm supposed to do a U-turn. And I think, how did, how did I mess that up? I messed it up because I knew exactly where I was going, and I was going in exactly the wrong direction. You ever done that before? Like, some of you are directionally challenged. You do that every time you get in the car. You're trying to go, like, to your neighbor's house next door, and you go the wrong way. That's how some of you are. The reality is some of us are like that in life. When it comes to our relationships, we somehow think that we know what we're supposed to do. We're experts in it because we've lived 15, 20, 25, 30, 50, 70 years, maybe, here today, I was looking around trying to find the oldest person. I don't know if we have a 70-year-old here. We've lived our lives for a while, and we think that we've got it figured out. We know what to do. We don't have to consult other people. So we tune out the wisdom and advice of people around us. Often, we tune out the wisdom and commands of God in our lives, and we end up going the exactly wrong direction in our relationships. Today, we're going to focus on, in week two of our series on modern romance, the physical intimacy aspect of relationships. Now, we're actually going to cover another uh, sermon on this in, in a couple weeks here, but this is going to be particularly for single and dating people here. If you're married, there will be some of this that speaks to you as well, but we're going to speak specifically to single and dating people here, what the Bible has to say to us about physical intimacy in relationships. You know, if you grew up in Sunday school, you grew up in youth group, you kind of know the deal, what the Bible teaches uh, about, about sex, about physical intimacy and marriage. Uh, it pretty much goes like this, and this is what the Bible teaches from start to finish. It doesn't change. Old Testament, New Testament says pretty much the same thing, that God created sex. Sex is good. Sex is for both intimacy within a relationship and procreation, bringing new life into this world. But God created this, and sex is such a powerful force that it requires the powerful commitment of marriage to contain it. And that is what the Bible says from start to finish. And that sounds pretty nice. When I was a kid, we memorized a catechism. I don't know if you guys did catechisms. It's usually a Catholic thing or maybe a Presbyterian thing. It'll be a question and answer. So you ask a question like, what is the Bible? And then you learn the answer, what, what the Bible is. Uh, there's a section in this catechism that my family used when I was a kid on the Ten Commandments. And the question was, what does it mean to not commit adultery? And the answer was... Sex is for marriage only. That's what it means. Sex is for marriage only. Now, I would be saying this as a little kid, having no idea what that meant. You'd ask me, what is sex? I'd be like, oh, it's the thing that's for marriage only. That's all I knew is sex is for marriage only. That's the totality of my definition of what sex was at the time. And, and that's all I knew. And that was a really simple answer that is 
entirely true. But it seemed a lot simpler and a lot more entirely true as a six-year-old when I didn't know what it meant than as a 14-year-old or as a 26-year-old or maybe for some of us as a 40-year-old or a 50-year-old. Suddenly it gets a lot more complicated. The truth is still there, but our lives have become more complicated. And when we have complicated lives, we often default to the clarity that comes not from God's word, but comes from our own feelings. And many of us in our relationships are going exactly the wrong direction. We're tuning God out and we're going the wrong direction. And today, I'm going to be that annoying voice saying, do a U-turn. Turn back and go the right direction. And you can tune me out. That's fine. In fact, today, you cannot listen to anything I'm saying or anything the word of God says. I just want to be upfront about that. Come in here to Foundry or come into church or hearing what God's word says. Don't, don't get mad at me and be like, he's trying to tell me how to live my life. I'm not trying to tell you how to live your life. I'm trying to tell you what the Bible says about how to live your life if you want to be in a relationship with God. And that's really up to you. In fact, you can leave this place. I don't want to be in a relationship with God and do my own thing. Hey, 100%, you can do that. I wouldn't advise it, but you can do that. But if, if we want to be honest about what the Bible says about being in a relationship with God, we've got to take him seriously at the point of our sexuality. Unfortunately... In the church today, unmarried people are not. Unmarried Christians have sex at rates just about the same as anybody else in culture. Uh, about 64% of unmarried Christians have had sex in the last year. Okay, maybe they repented of that and, and are following Jesus now and have pushed that away. Okay, maybe. But 42% of unmarried Christians are currently active in a sexual relationship. 42%. That, that's really bad. Let me tell you why it's bad. I'm going to say something that's very harsh. You may not like it, but it's what the Bible says. I'm about to show you where it says in a second. If you are actively engaged in a sexual relationship and you are not married, then you are not a Christian and you are not going to heaven. Full stop. That's hard. That's brutal. And what it means is, is maybe you look at your own life or the lives of your friends and you say, is that really true? We love Jesus. We pray to sinner's prayer. We're going to church. Let me show you where it's true. If you have your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I'm just going to start off in, in verse 9. There's more to be said. Really, the whole chapter is worth reading. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says this. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Inherit the kingdom of God is the language Paul is using to describe when Jesus returns and we're all resurrected from the dead and judged. Those who are judged to know God, to be close to him, will be brought into God's kingdom and will inherit all that is God's. So we might say go to heaven. Uh, a big, bigger biblical understanding is we're going to be raised from the dead, we're going to be judged, and then inherit what is God's. And so Paul says this, Do you not know, verse 9, that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Period. And then Paul says, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In other words, you were washed of your sins. Sanctified means purified. You were, you were made right with God in terms of what he's doing on the inside of you. You were justified. You were declared right with God, free from your sins through Jesus. That's what it means. In other words, Paul's writing to people who did all these things he's talking about. And sometimes we look at the Bible and we're like, man, Paul, uh, Jesus, Old Testament authors, why are you talking so much about sex? Why is the Bible hung up on sex so much? You know why it is? Because you are. 
you perverts. Like, like why, why, the Bible talks about stuff that people are dealing with. Paul's not like, let me just talk about sexuality. And no, like, no, he's writing about stuff that people are dealing with. And so he's going to be upfront about it. And the reality is we need to let the Bible speak into our lives because we're dealing with it too. We're dealing with it too. And so what the Bible teaches, what Paul teaches clearly here, Jesus teaches clearly in other places, is that if you are engaged in an active sexual relationship outside of marriage, you are not a Christian. You're not going to heaven. Don't, don't get mad at me, okay? This, this is not, I'm not attacking you. I'm not accusing you. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. So you can leave here and say, hey, Elijah's an idiot. I hate what he said. Fine. But, but make sure you're not disregarding God's word. I'm not telling you how to live your life. I'm telling you how to be in a close relationship with God according to the Bible. Now, life, life gets complicated. And, you know, a lot of us, uh, if you grew up in youth group or if you grew up in Sunday school, uh, you probably didn't expect to be single now at the age you're at if you're here and you're single or you're dating even. You probably didn't expect it. Uh, the, the marriage ages are rising up higher and higher. We're getting married later and later. And I remember when I was in youth group, we, we got fed a lot of things about why you should not have sex before marriage. It's, it's a lot of the good ones that parents you probably have shared with your kids. You don't want to get STDs. So like, no STDs, don't have sex before marriage. Or maybe it was like, and my favorite was, it's like the Christian version of Cosmo. And it was like, you want your best sex ever? Be a virgin. It's like, I don't know if that's how it works. Like, I think, I feel like the wedding night probably would be really awkward if you're a virgin, right? Like, I don't know if we should be saying your best sex ever. If I don't know. I just, but that, that's what it was. It was like, better sex. Do it. It's like, are we, we're just, we should just like send the kids down grocery aisles in the church and have all these magazines, you know, with these like smutty things. But instead of smut, it's like, virgin, be a virgin, best sex ever. That's what it's like. We're trying to, we're trying to borrow what the world says and put our own Christian veneer on it. Uh, we have, we have other, other reasons, though. I mean, other reasons that were given. Um, and just all throughout, like, I, I just remember people being like, you know, they pass a candy bar around. You guys ever do this one? And it's like everyone would hold the candy bar. By the end, it would be like all melted chocolate. And they're like, that's what happens if you have sex before marriage. And you're like, I'm a delicious candy bar, but kind of melted? Like, what, what does that mean? I don't know. It's, we did all this stuff. But what was never said is the biblical reason why you don't have sex before marriage or outside of marriage. It just wasn't said. I mean, the Bible doesn't say anything about STDs that I'm aware of. The Bible doesn't say anything about your best sex ever if you wait and are a virgin when you get married. The Bible doesn't say any of this stuff. Now, that doesn't mean it's not true. Like, if, if you don't engage in sexual intercourse, you probably won't get an STD. That's, that's just kind of the reality of it. Uh, so it's smart. That's some good reasons. But it's not the biblical reasons. What's the biblical reason? Well, there's several. I want to focus in on one today. So it's in the same place we just were. We're going to keep on reading a few verses. And uh, Paul here is writing to the church in Corinth. That's why it's called 1 Corinthians. And he's writing to a church that is, is filled with some messed up screwball people, kind of like this church is. And he's writing to them to say, hey, here's, here's how we live our lives right. He's actually responding to some stuff they said. So, for instance, here's something they said, verse 12. They said, I have the right to do anything. So, I have the right to do anything. But Paul says, not everything is beneficial. They said, I have the right to do anything. But Paul says, I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. But Paul says the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Paul's about to address something here. He's about to address prostitutes. Now, uh, a lot of you are probably thinking, well, for all the things I may have done sexually that would not be considered right by the Bible, I might not have gone to a prostitute. Let me explain the, the context here so we can understand what Paul's getting at. Paul is dealing with people who say, I'm a Christian, but I have freedom in Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that? 
Maybe you've said that. I'm a Christian. And Paul says, okay, you're a Christian, but not everything's good for you. Yeah, you're a Christian, but not everything honors the Lord. And they were living in, in Corinth was a place. It was a Greek city. And in this Greek city, there's actually a shortage, guys, this is terrible, but a shortage of marriageable women. In other words, not enough, not enough women for the guys. You ever seen the movie Seven Brides for Seven Brothers? All right, that, wow, that was a good response. It was like, oh, my movie, bless your beautiful hide. Anybody know? Yeah, okay. Anyway, that was just for a few of you here. So, so there, there was a shortage of marriageable women. And so you had guys, these Greek men, who were getting older and older and had no women to marry. That's a problem because dudes, this is just a fact. Dudes, when they don't get married, just go crazy. Like, like every time you bring in a population of just single men, it goes insane. Wild West, mining towns went insane. You bring women in, dudes, chill out. Ladies, thank you. Just thank you for existing, just to chill us out a little bit. And so you had all these men who weren't married, so they pretty much had three ways that they could get sexual gratification. Way number one, slaves. That's bad. That's really bad. Way number two, prostitutes. Paul says, nope. Way number three, each other. Paul says, nope. And so the context we're dealing with is this. If the men wanted to, to get sexual gratification, they had to go to slaves, prostitutes, or each other. And Paul says, no. Now, this is a tough message in any culture, saying, no, don't engage in your sexual desires. And Paul says, don't do it at all. Uh, here's something else to know about prostitutes at the time. There were, were kind of low-level prostitutes and upper-level prostitutes, but any prostitute, when she got married, had to quit being a prostitute. So you're talking about single women here. So this is like the population of available single women to these men were mostly prostitutes. And so when Paul talks about prostitutes, you may think, oh, okay, well, at least I'm not going to a prostitute. But what he's talking about is engaging in sex outside of marriage to these men. And this is what he says next. You pull back your Bibles back up. Verse 14, by his power, God raised the Lord, that would be Jesus, from the dead. And he will raise us also. So the first kind of reason that Paul gives why you shouldn't engage in sexual immorality is that your body, which will die and likely decay, will be raised up when Jesus returns, and you will be resurrected from the dead. We don't talk about this enough in the church. You will be raised up physically from the dead, and you will be judged before God. And so Paul is saying, don't engage in sexual immorality because you will receive a resurrected body, and it already belongs to the Lord. Was that a reason you were given in youth group or Sunday school or growing up by your parents? Hey, I know you're going to prom. Don't have sex because you will have a resurrected body one day. That was, that's just not what we talk about. But Paul's trying to focus us in on the real reason, the real reason why we should honor the Lord with our sexuality. Then he goes on. Do you not know, verse 15, that your bodies are members of Christ himself? In other words, there's something that happens when you become a Christian where you are not just joined to God in the spiritual level, but your body itself becomes part of who Jesus is. That means every time you engage in sexual immorality as a Christian, you are prostituting Jesus himself. It suddenly changes maybe how you think about your own sexuality. Every time you engage in sexual immorality, your body is a part of Jesus. And you are making Jesus, causing Jesus to engage in sexual immorality. We are part of Jesus. When it's, it's not just a spiritual reality, it, it extends to your very bodies because these bodies are not just things that will pass away. We will be resurrected. Already we are joined with Jesus. And this is kind of deep theology stuff, but Paul's saying this is the reason why you don't engage in sexual immorality. So then he says, shall I then take members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. 
Do you know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, and he goes back to Genesis where it says this, the two shall become one flesh. When you engage in sex with someone else, there's a relationship that takes place there that joins you together. Obviously, there's a physical relationship that is encountered, but there's something deeper that goes on, even at the spiritual level, where two people, even if you're not married, if you engage in sexual intercourse, you become one flesh. And what Paul is saying is if you're already a part of Jesus... You can't turn around and engage in sexuality in a way that he has already said not to do. If you join yourself to a prostitute, or let's just say if you join yourself to someone outside the bounds of marriage, then you are doing it and joining yourself to them in a way that does not honor God. That brings Jesus' name to shame. Whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit, Paul says. Whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And so here's the reality he's setting up. You can be joined to Jesus, or you can be joined to someone else outside of marriage sexually. But you can't do both. You cannot be joined to Jesus and actively engage in a sexual relationship outside of marriage. Again, don't get mad at me. Don't dislike me. You can. Just please don't. Dislike God if you want. Okay, you're welcome to do that because this is what he has said. This is what God's word tells us. And Paul finishes up talking about it by saying, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? In other words, God himself dwells inside of you. Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you received from God. You were not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. What Paul's driving at here is your body's not your own. You already belong to the Lord. In fact, you are joined with him. And so don't go to a place for sexual gratification that is outside of what God has already set up. Sex is such a powerful force, and we see it. We see the brokenness it brings in our world. And many of us have experienced the brokenness of our our sexually broken world in ways that have come against us. People have done things to us. We've experienced this. And sex is such a powerful force that it requires the powerful commitment of marriage. It requires that. And so you're sitting back maybe. You think, okay, this is heavy stuff. This is big stuff. What does this mean for my life? What does this mean for you? Paul's really clear, you can't be in a relationship with Jesus and be engaged in sexual relationship outside of marriage, period. So what does this mean for my life? I think a lot of the time, we forget that this is a spiritual battle. Satan wants to destroy you sexually. He does. He wins if he does that. Because if he destroys you sexually, he'll destroy maybe your current or future relationship, which means he gets to destroy your current or future family. And Satan wants to do that. Why does he want to do that? Because the way that God transforms this world is through healthy people and healthy families who love the Lord and love other people. Satan wants to destroy every bit of that. So keep that in mind. Satan wants to stop it. So so how do we honor God sexually, honor God with our bodies? So let let me go to the single and dating people right now. Uh, The question that's often asked is, okay, so I know that sex outside of marriage is wrong. Paul has established that. He's made that clear. So if I'm engaged in a relationship with someone before we get married, how far is too far? Anybody ever, you don't have to raise a hand, but anybody ever wondered this question? You hear a lot of stuff. You have like the whole I kiss dating goodbye books, right, that say one thing, and then you have a lot of people who are like, well, 
You know, there's only like, if, if you don't go all the way, you're okay. And so where do we fall? Um, what we got to know is in the biblical times, uh, you wouldn't have even gotten close to having sex before marriage unless you were having sex before marriage. Our modern phenomenon of dating is just different. I'm not knocking it because it's kind of where we are. Like, if you want to get married, arranged marriages aren't really a thing anymore. So it's probably for a good reason. So you got to figure out how to negotiate this physical relationship and dating together. And here is, here is the line, and this is the clear line, that when you hit this line, you stop. You know this is just further than you should go. And for a lot of us, you can think, oh, that's, that's really soon. Here, here's the line. When your body starts preparing itself for sex, you've reached your line. When your body starts preparing, because God has, God has made our bodies in amazing ways to be responsive to each other. And once your body starts getting ready for sex, your body is ready for sex. It doesn't take long. It's not like, okay, like, no, boom, you're ready. You're ready. Like, you're, you get there pretty quick. And, and here's the problem with that. Let me tell you a story to show you the problem with it. Uh, don't read into this metaphor. It's not a metaphor. It's just a story. My brother was rolling a tire back from the neighbor's house back down. He was doing tire flips with it. One of those big tires, I don't know, three feet, four feet tall, probably three feet tall. And he starts rolling it down the hill back to my parents' house. And, you know, a tire, tires are heavy. So he starts pushing this thing. It takes a while to get it going. And pretty soon it starts rolling. And he's like, okay, it's rolling on its own. That's pretty cool. And then it starts rolling and rolling and rolling. It gets faster and faster and faster. And then it starts rolling towards my car that was parked out in the street. And he thinks, oh, I should probably stop the tire. Okay, here's the reality of something big and heavy rolling really fast. It's really hard to stop. So my brother's good, good-sized guy this time, probably six foot, maybe 170, 180. And the tire's rolling, and he tries pushing it to stop it, keeps rolling. He pushes it again, keeps rolling. And eventually he's, I wish I could have seen it. I didn't see it. He's running down the street next to the tire, which is great. I just, don't you just wish you could see your brother being an idiot sometimes? He's just running down next to it, and he's bashing up against his full body, trying to tackle this thing with his body, trying to take it out. And he can't even knock it down. And it's rolling towards my car, which is a really nice 2007 Toyota Corolla, which is a super nice muscle car. And he didn't want to hit the really nice brother car. So it's, it's rolling towards my car. And he keeps hitting. And finally, he hits it just hard enough, not where he knocks it over, where he slightly pushes it off to the side and it misses my car. Yeah, let's give it up. Let's give it up for Zeke. Oh, Zeke there. Zeke, shout out to you, buddy, if you're watching. But here, here's the reality. When you get something rolling like that, it's hard to get it to stop. God created us to be that way sexually. It's good. Like, in fact, can we just give it up for God and sex really fast? Like, that was a cool idea. I'm watching people aren't clapping. Why aren't you clapping, right? Like, that's, that's an awesome thing. But what God didn't create is... Like, for you to get the tire rolling and then say, okay, stop. Like, draw a chalk line down there. Because here's what happens. I've known so many Christians in relationships. The line's right here. In fact, a lot of them are like, I won't kiss until I'm married. Boom, line. And then they get in a relationship. They're like, yeah, you know, like, I don't know, horizontal makeouts are pretty cool. All right, so there's the line there. And it's like, yeah, you know, heavy, heavy petting's pretty awesome, too. It's like, yeah, because the tire's rolling. And they keep putting the line further and further down. You put the line down far enough. You keep pushing the tire. There's no stopping it. If you want to honor God, if you want to honor the person you're dating, the person you're in a relationship with, then as soon as your body begins at any level to prepare itself for sex, you stop. You stop. You stop it before the tire's even rolling. You stop it. And you don't do this because you're some Pharisee or you're a legalist. You do it because you want to honor the Lord. You want to flee from sexual immorality, like Paul says, because you want to preserve yourself in that relationship as a place that honors God. 
a place where you can actually get to know that person and not be confused just because you're in a sexual relationship. You can know that person deeply, prepare for marriage well, and then have a lifelong committed relationship filled with sex, filled with babies, filled with good ministry. That's what we're preparing for. But too many of us are focused on immediate gratification. So where's the line? As soon as your body starts preparing for sex, boom, you're done. Now, some of you are like, I hold hands and my body starts preparing for sex. I know some of you guys. So what does that mean? You know what it means? Completely, completely honest now. Don't hold hands if that's going to happen. You're like, oh, that doesn't sound very fun. Flee from sexual immorality. And, and here's, what I, here's what I encourage you with. Always go for the weaker individual. So if one of you is more likely to be tempted by sex, one of you is more likely to get in the mood a lot faster, you go with the person who is more cautious. You go with their standard. If their standard is you do, you do a pinky touch and that's it, you do it. Is that weird? Yes. That is really weird, guys. That's freaky deaky weird, okay? But be weird in that way now so you can be weird in another way later. Oh, yeah. Honor the Lord right now. Don't get the tire rolling. And this is some of you are uncomfortable right now. Just let out a breath, guys. This is, this is natural stuff. But it's unnatural to honor God with our sexuality. But we're not called to live out our natural desires. We're called to honor the Lord. Now, some of you are just really uncomfortable right now, and this is beautiful, because I can say whatever I want next, and you can't control it. The Lord has called you to honor him with your body. So you need to do whatever that takes to honor him with your body. Now, now what about if you're someone who already, within your relationship, or maybe already in life, you've had sex, you've engaged, you've crossed the line many times, and here's where you do it. It's a simple thing. It's, it's what I started off this message talking about, is you do a U-turn. You've already gone too far many times. You do a turn. That's, that's the, what the word repent in the Old Testament means. It just means to turn. You turn back to what God wants. This is going to be really hard if you're currently in a relationship where you guys have crossed a lot of lines, where you have engaged in sex. This is going to be really hard to turn, but you have to. What you need to do is you need to repent to God and to each other, and you need to confess to people outside of the relationship. The last thing you need to do is hold this in the relationship just between the two of you. You need to find trusted, godly people. The woman needs to go to some godly women in her life, the man to godly men in his life. Confess the lines you've crossed in detail. You don't have to go graphic detail, but be clear about not just, hey, we slipped up. Be honest about what you've done, and then put up clear boundaries. And the clear boundary should be, when your body starts preparing for sex, we cannot go any further. If that means we can't hold hands, we're not going to hold hands. If it means we can't kiss, then we're not going to kiss. If it means we can't hug for longer than 15, 20 seconds, boom, we're not going to do it. Because we honor the Lord with our bodies. If you've already crossed those lines, here's what's going to happen. If you pull back and set boundaries, one of two good things will happen. You're either going to break up really fast because you realize that relationship was built on sex and not on anything else. Or you're going to get married really fast. Because you've already crossed enough lines that let's, let's make this official and go all the way. One of those two things will happen. And can I tell you what? Both those things are good. You don't want to be in a relationship with someone that's built on simply a physical relationship. That lasts about, I think, two weeks past the time you get married to where that could be the foundation for it. And then you're off to the races. You've got real life to deal with. And so you don't want to be blinded by that. But also, if, the, if you know you're going to get married, you've got wise counsel saying marry this person, you've crossed some lines, you pull back, and get married. Get married fast. In fact, you can get a marriage license in a week or two here. 
Anytime I can be up here, give me 30 minutes, heads up. We do some premarital counseling ahead of time. We can get you married right here really fast. And we'll do it. In fact, we, we've done it before here. Uh, I don't want to, I don't know if, I haven't had permission to tell this story, but we did a, a marriage ahead of time, ahead of when the scheduled date was right here with two witnesses and me to where it could get moving and get going. So we will do that. But here's the reality. We must honor God with our bodies. Sexual immorality is not okay. A sexual relationship outside of marriage means you are not in a relationship with Jesus anymore and you will not spend eternity with him. That's hard. It's what the Bible says. So where do we go from here? We make sure if we're single, we are guarding ourselves. We're fleeing sexual immorality. We make sure if we're dating, we are guarding ourselves and our person we're in a relationship with, our boyfriend or girlfriend, and we're helping them honor God with their bodies as we're doing the same. If you are married, you guard your sexual relationship in your marriage. You guard it. We're going to talk more in a couple weeks about how to do that well, how to engage in that well. But you guard that relationship. You don't let anything come between you, and you honor God with your bodies. Because sex is too powerful a force, and it requires the powerful commitment of marriage to express it in. Honor God with your bodies.